This is the Digital Savage Experience Podcast, hosted by Roman Prokopchuk, bringing you all things digital marketing, tech, business, and motivation. What's stopping you from becoming relentless in all aspects of life? Are you ready to become a digital savage? Let's get into today's episode. Hey everyone, this is Roman Prokopchuk and this is the Digital Savage Experience Podcast. Today I have with me David C. Baker. He's an author, speaker, and advisor to entrepreneurial creatives worldwide. He has written five books, advised 900 plus firms, and keynoted conferences in more than 30 countries. His work has been discussed in dozens of international publications. The New York Times referred to him as the expert's expert. He co-hosts the most listened to podcasts in the creative services field, Two Bobs. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to this. In spite of everything that's happening around the world, I've been looking forward to having these conversations still. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. I think we, we need as much uh, interaction as possible these days. Right. And I think people, when people are wondering what to do and kind of unfreeze themselves, I think some of that regular uh, those regular patterns are useful so continuing to publish the episodes of your podcast is a good idea yeah i agree so tell me a little bit about your journey how did you get to where you are today so my parents were medical missionaries and when i was four they moved from the u.s i'm a u.s citizen but didn't live here much they moved us to costa rica where they spent a year learning spanish i went to kindergarten there and then after their year of learning the language, we moved to a tribe of Mayan Indians in Guatemala, way up in the highlands of Guatemala. No running water, no electricity, no roads to speak of. And so I grew up there. I didn't come to the U.S. until I was 18 and uh, started school then. So it's a very different background. I'm one of the world's worst um, trivial pursuit partners because I missed all of that, all of those cultural references during that time. Went to grad school for five years full-time and in the middle of that decided that I wanted to switch careers and go into marketing instead of linguistics. Finished the degree anyway but started a firm and did that for six years. It was a small agency of about 16 people at its peak and through that through a a strange set of circumstances I began to advise other entrepreneurial creatives, the principals who were running these firms and so that's what I've been doing for the last 26 years. So I work with the, the principals, the CEOs of communications, privately held communication, marketing, digital firms around the world. And it's been a fantastic ride. I, I just love what I get to do in lots of different countries, touching base with people, understanding what's, what they're facing as leaders, helping them really make smart business decisions more than the craft and the trade they, they've got lots of sources for that. So that's what I do. That's awesome. And obviously, like you said, growing up outside of the United States, how has that kind of influenced you in terms of uh, understanding and communication where you came here, came back here at 18? How has that impacted how you basically advise? It's had a huge impact. I mean, some of it has been embarrassing because there were so many things about the culture I eventually ended up living in that I didn't know. I can remember a lot of embarrassing moments, but from a bigger picture perspective and really from a more serious standpoint, 
I think it's helped me see things more from a global perspective. So when I hear a particular piece of advice or some truism that comes from a U.S. point of view, which is where I live now, I usually find myself testing it and saying, okay, I could see how that makes sense here. Does that really work in other parts of the world? Here's an example of that. So you hear people say all the time, you have to love your work. If you love your work, then success will follow. So follow your heart, success will come after that. I don't believe that at all. I think a lot of people in the U.S., for instance, or in other developed countries are following their hearts and not finding success at all. In fact, the reason, the main reason I don't think that's true is because you look at people who live in countries that are still developing and they don't have that option in front of them. So let's not say that's a truism for the entire world. So I guess to summarize, it's just given me a very global perspective on what's true and, and what isn't. It's it's a lonely perspective because um, the U.S. in particular doesn't really have a global perspective like other countries do. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I was born in Ukraine and came to the U.S. Uh, when I was five in 1990 and have been kind of been back, traveled outside of the U.S. and how people live their lives and how they communicate and kind of, um, you know, how their influences influenced by their surroundings is, like you said, a lot different than inside of the United States. Yeah, absolutely. Do you still have family living back in Ukraine? Yep, I have family from the uh, the city I was from. I actually have distant relatives in, in Spain that's been obviously affected harder by this whole pandemic and in South America as well in um, Argentina that I've never met. So I kind of have distant relatives all over the world. <laughs> I visited 44 countries now and worked in 30 of them. And Ukraine is high on my list of one of the places I'm really anxious to go to. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a real uh, big tech hub, unfortunately, with the stuff going on in eastern uh, Ukraine. And uh, it's predominantly known for government corruption, which hinders, uh, you know, scaling and building businesses in terms of uh, different tech firms and things of that nature. But right. there is a lot of talent and uh, the people are like really genuine and nice. Mm, that's great. Can't wait to get there. <laughs> yeah. T- tell me when you do get there. Right. With everything going on with the pandemic, how can, you know, creatives, uh, agencies, how can they kind of get through this time and how can they market to, you know, customers needs? Because there's a fine line between, you know, helping and taking advantage of the situation. Yes. In fact, the industry that I serve, which is under the marketing umbrella, so that would be digital firms, design firms, UX firms, PR, advertising. We've noticed over the last three crises, particularly 2001, 2005, 2011, that we are an industry that's a lagging indicator. So a lot of firms in this space are not suffering a lot right now, but they look outside their firm and they see, you know, catastrophe everywhere. So what you wouldn't want to do is relax and say, oh, it looks like I've escaped some of this impact because it probably is coming. It's just coming a little bit later. And then when the world around you starts to recover faster, you'll still be behind them by two, three or four months. I want to pick up, though, on a theme that you just mentioned because it's so near and dear to me. This is not the time to be selling in a conventional sense. In even when the world is just chugging along and and we're not under some catastrophic umbrella, selling should really be more about helping people in a non-self-centered way. 
And this is the time where that really rings true. In fact, as a consumer, you're getting these emails from firms who are obviously taking advantage of the situation. Others are just simply reminding you that they're open. I don't think any of those emails are essential or even useful. I think they're actually um, hacking some people off a little bit. So this is the time to just keep doing your job, keep in the rhythm, but don't be asking people for things. Just help. And I, I do think that karma will, will come back and bring that back to you. But even if it doesn't, it's better to do the right thing and focus on that rather than uh, try to align your own pockets. Yeah, I agree. So you've written five books. Which was kind of like the first? Uh, how did you go about kind of getting to the first one? And at what point did you decide you know, to become an author in the first place? Well, the first one was actually... I was ghostwriting a book for a client of mine, so I was actually making money doing it, so that was an easy decision, but I discovered that I really enjoyed the process. It was a, a boring book written very specifically for a niche industry in the seed corn field, so nobody else has read it, obviously, but that got me on a path of writing, and I'm now hooked on it. I'm, I'm literally hooked on it. If I don't write, it doesn't have to be a book, it could be an article or something. But if I stay away from writing too long, I start to feel those withdrawal pains where I just have to sit down and write. It's therapeutic for me. I write, well, I mean, obviously I love the royalties from it. I love the, the fact that it helps my business. This last book was featured in the New York Times. That helped my business a lot. But that's not why I write. I mainly write to figure out what I believe about something. If I didn't have that pressure to articulate a point of view and try to not be embarrassed publicly, then I probably wouldn't develop what I believe and, and therefore, you know, what I want to practice in my, in my um, profession. So to me, if I didn't have that pressure, I wouldn't. So it's not as if you figure out what you believe and then you write about it. That's not how it works in my life. In my life, I decide what I what the subject is that I want to figure out and then I write on it and in the writing as I'm articulating it the clarity comes through so I write to get smarter that's that's a that's a great uh, perspective and a, a great way to uh to look at it because you're learning through the process and it's like top of mind and as you go through it you become an expert in it and you don't want to get embarrassed either, right? You know, you've I'm sure in your career you've had moments where you've tasted really deep expertise, either in front of a crowd or whatever it is. And then you've also been embarrassed. I've had both of those and I just never want to be embarrassed again. I just want to be confident. I want to feel confident in what I'm saying to someone. Yeah. And that's, that's a great way of, um, of doing it because it's top of mind. It's not something you kind of maybe you're writing about that's uh, you're an expert in, but maybe you forgot it because you haven't done it in years. So it's like, it's fresh and uh, it's more relatable in that sense. Right, exactly. So what motivates you to succeed? I would guess that the answer to that is really different for everybody. For me, I just have to win. Um, and this shows up in my hobbies as well. So I tend to take up a new hobby, try to conquer a certain level, and then I quickly get bored with it. I haven't done that with my business. I've enjoyed conquering something and then sticking with it for 26 years now. I don't feel any, I don't feel any languishing of that, but I just want to win. And it's not a selfish sense. I mean, I do, I am successful from a money standpoint, successful enough. So it's not, that's not an issue. It's more, 
I want to have an impact on people and this gives me a platform to do that. So writing a book helps being a guest on your podcast helps. I just want to be influential. I want, I want to make a difference for people. And I don't know, I guess that's, it could be selfish, but I don't feel like it is. I feel like I have something to share with people that will change their lives. And so why not be aggressive at building as big an audience as possible? Yeah, I think that's important because the more people you can reach, the more, you know, your message can amplify and you can basically impact more people that way. Right. So what's one thing you may have seen as a weakness in yourself in the past that you turned around into a strength and utilized today? Hmm. Well, how much time do we have? There's a lot of those. Uh, one of them is that I'm naturally an impatient person. I'm also naturally an introvert. So I'm kind of over people in general, except for a few friends and family. So I've designed my business around those two things. Um, and it was more just driven by self-preservation. But as I've discovered, experts in developed cultures, and this is not true in developing cultures, but experts in developed cultures are not as accessible as others are. And so it kind of can add to the mystique if you are not out there everywhere giving away all kinds of free advice. Now, I do think you should give away free advice as long as it's unapplied. But the minute you start applying it, you ought to charge a lot of money for that. So that would be one uh, character flaw that has surprised me and that it actually has dovetailed with my business a little bit. Yeah, I think um, if you're a introvert, I mean, right now the situation is obviously favorable to uh, anyone that's a uh, introvert. If yeah, they're we're all home, right? <laughs> yeah, if they're surrounded by the few people that they can actually kind of stand and are okay being around. <laughs> right. But um, I mean, I think that's important in terms of sharing, uh, you know, how to do business, how to network, how to promote a message, how to, you know, share your expertise, because oftentimes for uh, introverts, it's not as easy, you know what I mean? In terms of you have a message to share, maybe you want to speak, but you're definitely afraid to, you know, go on stage. Right. Yeah, for sure. Now, you know, I'm not afraid of, I love speaking. The bigger the audience, the better. 5,000 the other day, and I loved it. What I don't enjoy is talking to people individually afterwards. <laughs> it's kind of a weird thing. Yeah, I mean, that, that's actually really interesting. I mean, I, I guess, uh, I mean, that's, that's a great way to um, to look at it. I mean, you, you have no fear of uh, a crowd, but that uh, initial one-on-one -on -one is still... Um, a something to I guess work on or something that you don't prefer right so what's one piece of advice you have for the audience personal or professional hmm well from a, a professional standpoint I would say saying when you start your business whether it's you or whether you have employees you say yes a lot at the beginning it's designed to be a magnet for opportunity you're you're trying to build your business, you have to say yes a lot. At some point, and it comes at a different place for everybody, but it's maybe three or four or five years in, you need to start saying no a lot more than yes. You'll never get to that second stage, that real maturity for a business until you start saying no a lot more. 
And because in the U.S. in particular, we, we fashion ourselves living in the land of opportunity, it's very difficult for us to turn opportunity down. But the world usually doesn't need more of what you're being sold. The world usually needs something that's a lot more specific and deeper. And that comes from people who are comfortable saying no more than yes. Yeah, I think there's that kind of healthy uh, balance when you first start out or even as a personality. Obviously, if a person is a good person, they often tend to want to help others. But like you said, I think when you get to a certain point in order to scale or help as many people as possible, you have to start saying no in certain situations. Right, exactly. Yeah, Derek Sivers taught me that, um, how you need to say yes or no. You almost need to scream it and nothing in between. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's just kind of uh, rational in terms of like if your reach keeps getting bigger, if you know your expertise keeps growing, you're more in demand, and then you have to kind of figure out you only have a certain amount amount of hours to to do productive work or you know achieve your goals, and if you're saying yes to every single thing, you can't focus on doing one thing uh, right and having being pulled in all these directions. Right. Yeah, that's exactly it. So I really appreciate you stopping by today. Can you let the audience know how they can find you? Sure. So the consulting practice, which may people just may be curious about, I probably wouldn't be a good fit for most people, is davidcbaker.com. Uh, but more the book would probably interest people more. And that's uh, the most recent, the fifth book. It's at expertise.is, expertise.is. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks again for stopping by. Thank you. This podcast has been brought to you by Nova Zora Digital. Find out how Nova Zora Digital can help your company grow online. Learn more at NovaZoraDigital.com. Until next time, all you digital savages.